what blows my mind is that if I would have not seen the color purple when I was 15, I don't know if I would be here. Hmm. That's how impactful that Broadway show was for me. It just opened it up for me. It said, this is what you can do. This is where the possibilities can go for your life. And for me to stand in that and walk through it at 15 years old and say, I'm going to be fearless and and see where this path leads me. I'm going to follow my heart and work hard and get into Juilliard. And I'm going to keep going after every no and capturing all of those lessons and holding them within my heart has got me to this point. The color purple has taken many different forms over the years. The original 1982 novel by Alice Walker was adapted into a 1985 movie starring Whoopi Goldberg and Oprah Winfrey, and then reimagined into a Tony-winning musical. And finally, just recently, that show was transformed into a new movie musical. And whether as an audience member or as a performer, Danielle Brooks has been there for most of that journey. Shortly after getting her big break as Tasty in Netflix's Orange is the New Black, Brooks played the iconic character of Sophia in the new Broadway revival of The Color Purple, a role which earned her a Tony nomination in 2016. Most recently, Brooks returned to play Sophia in the new movie version of The Color Purple musical, which was released this Christmas to critical acclaim. That powerhouse performance earned her nominations for a Golden Globe, a Critics' Choice Award, a SAG Award, and her first Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress. We caught up with her all the way from New Zealand, where she's currently filming her new movie, Minecraft. And in this conversation, Brooks explores the connection between faith and performance, how she works to upend stereotypes, and why the color purple continues to resonate with audiences of different generations. I'm Charlotte Alter, Senior Correspondent for Time, and this is Person of the Week. So you were born in Georgia, which is, I understand, also where you live now, but you were raised in South Carolina and went to an arts high school there. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to the performing arts and how you realized that this is what you wanted to do? I think I got the bug in church because to me, there was such huge parallels. You know, they're both performative (laughs) and they both are trying to connect with people and to reach people and change the community and the way we think. And there's a power in that. You know, I spent a lot of hours in revivals, you know, church services, watching choir anniversaries and all of these things. So I really observed what moved the people, Hmm. how the preacher spoke that was moving and when it wasn't. And when a person was singing a solo and how they were able to captivate the audience and when they weren't. And we would do performances for holidays. Like we had this thing called the cantata for Christmas. And we would learn all these songs and the kids would put on like little skits or say little speeches and things like that. So I know that the bug kind of was sparked within church. I did my first church play when I was six. And I had one line. And after the play was over, everyone came up to my mom and was like, she was so good. You need to put her in the acting programs. So my mm. mom found those acting programs for me to be a part of um, 
arts reaching middle and elementary school, from children's theater to the governor's school for the arts and humanities to League Academy. Hmm. So I credit my mom for placing me into programs that would nurture the talent. And so I just kind of took all of that and found myself at the Governor's School for Arts and Humanities, where I lived on campus at 15 years old and was basically at a mini Juilliard. You had to audition. We're in a class of probably 11 my senior year. And that was where the training really started for me. So it was around this time, right, that you first saw the color purple, is my understanding, right? You were in New York with your father. Yes. And he decided to take you to a Broadway show, and you went to see the color purple. Can you tell us what that was like? Yeah, so it was basically around my first year at that governor's school when I was 15. I had won an internship. And they were taking about 15 to 20 people from around the U.S., teenagers, to learn how to make their own short films. And so I went, got a free trip with my dad. And the reason we went to The Color Purple, because once again, as we know, representation matters. (laughs) And that was the only Black show, unless you include Lion King. And so we went to The Color Purple, and I remember sitting all the way in the mezzanine section and being blown away. I just was Hmm. like, oh my gosh, there's a path. Because the bug for me wasn't in necessarily TV and film, only because I didn't know how to get there. But the theater, you know, because of this training I was getting at the governor's school, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I love theater. There has to be a way that I can do this. When I look at an August Wilson play and I look at the names of the actors, like a Patha Murkison or, you know, Samuel L. Jackson. I'm like, oh, well, they started out in a play, you know? I right. can start out in a play. And so when I saw that musical, it became this direct spark that said, this is a path. I can do hmm. this. They look like me. They're singing about God. They're acting and dancing, all these things that I love. And then 10 years later crazy enough how like just this full circle moment that's the first Broadway show that I star in. Yeah so I understand after you had this experience of seeing the color purple on Broadway you applied to Juilliard and were accepted. Oh yeah Juilliard was challenging because I came in so young and I'm learning how to just be a woman and come into womanhood Now someone's telling me how to walk, how to talk, how to Hmm. hold my body. Everything was just under a microscope while I'm trying to just learn what it is to be, to be. (laughs) Yeah, to figure out your own way to be. Yeah. Yeah, and my own thoughts and getting from under my parents and what my opinions are. But I learned so much about myself as an artist and how fearless I am. I remember playing in a farce we did in our third year of school. I played Queen Elizabeth. And I Oh my remember, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? My black ass playing Queen Elizabeth. It was pretty awesome. And in that moment I felt like there was nothing I couldn't do. Hmm. Being that they allowed me this opportunity to play Queen Elizabeth, even though it was to be humored. I still Mm. felt unstoppable. I felt like there was nothing that I couldn't do or try. 
And I've taken that with me my whole career. Like I think about, you know, being in Peacemaker and how nervous I was to get that job after having my daughter, gaining weight. Now people are asking me to do an action character. I'm like, are you serious? Is this a joke? But that's a dream I've always had. And I knew from that moment, that spark that I had playing Queen Elizabeth to not limit myself. So um, I just learned a lot being at Juilliard that could probably take up this whole interview, but I'm I'm not going (laughs) to spend that much time. So I I also understand that you overlapped while you were there with Corey Hawkins, who is one of your co-stars in the movie. He plays Sophia's husband, Harpo. Yes. What was that like to reunite with an old friend from Juilliard? And and what's it like for the two of you to sort of look back on your time there? Oh, my God. I just love him so much because I feel like we have been pushing each other into our greatness our entire lives. Wow. Um, Ever since we met each other, we have been literally pushing each other. I remember... When we are seniors in college, we do this thing in front of all these agents and managers where they watch Mm -hmm. us do scenes so that you can potentially be signed. And I see an agent that I really wanted to sign with. And Corey was like, you should just go talk to him. And I was like, no. And he was like, no, Mm -hmm. like seriously, Danielle, if you want to sign with him, go talk to him. I said, okay. And I took my shy behind up to this agent and I said, hi, I'm Danielle Brooks. I just want to introduce myself. Hope you enjoy what you watch. And it was only me and this other classmate that were on their list to be signed. And I ended up signing with them. Wow. And we've just always kind of done that, been very transparent with each other. And Corey, he was the first one attached to the movie. Mm-hmm. And when he got that part, he immediately called Scott Sanders, our producer, to say, please let Danielle Brooks be Sophia. And even though I still had to go through the six-month process of auditioning, just the fact that he did that for me, I wow. will forever be grateful for the type of friendship that we hold. We've always just wanted to see each other win so I just am glad to be like one of his closest friends and him him be mine. Wow. Well, we're going to be talking a lot about the color purple. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, but first I want to hear about your big break, which came when you were cast in the role of Tasha, a.k.a. Tasty, in the Netflix show Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. So how did that role come about? And do you remember the moment when you were cast? Oh, yes. How could I forget it? (laughs) So I actually was doing regional theater. Going back to that, that's been always my first love was the theater. And so I was doing The Servant of Two Masters at the time. And um, my agent called me, that same agent that I booked from Juilliard called and was like, they want you to audition for this web series. And didn't nobody know what a web series was at the time. So I was like, okay, I'm auditioning for this web series. It's called Orange is the New Black, and it's about inmates. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to do this. Because remember, in my brain, I can do anything. I can play Queen Elizabeth. So I don't want to play a stereotype. Right. But 
I was like, you know what? I'm going to go in there and see what this is. And so I remember meeting with the casting director, Jen Houston. And before I even started, she was like, I want you to know that Tasty is the light of the prison. She's Hmm. the joy. Even though it might be written one way, we want you to lean into that. And that excited me because that's the direction I already wanted to go with Tasty Mm -hmm. was to really show her humanity, to show that people who are in these situations aren't just dragging their feet, angry all day, Black women that are loud and boisterous, even though that's a part of who she is, there is so much more to who she is. And that's what I wanted people to see. And so I ended up booking that job, which was originally only supposed to be for about two episodes, and it turned into seven seasons of playing Tasty Tasha Jefferson. Wow. So I'm I, I'm glad you brought this up because obviously there are so many incredible Black actors with incredible resumes. And oftentimes in this industry, there is a tendency to typecast people or put mm-hmm. them in roles that are stereotyped. How do you grapple with that? How do you think about the question of typecasting and stereotype mm-hmm. when you are considering which roles you want to take? Where is it going? Where is the story going? Mm. I think that's important to me. Is it moving the needle in any capacity is what's important to me. Because I don't want to be a player in pushing a stereotype further. I have no interest in that. So I'll just say, no, I'm not doing it. And I make sure that I, my team, my agents, my managers, go find very complex characters that I can play that would shock people. That's what I want. I want something that people would say, oh, man, I would never think to cast Danielle Brooks in that. But that makes complete sense. It actually Mm -hmm. works. That's what excites me. I think that's why, like, being in Minecraft and being alongside Jason Momoa and Jack Black, you know, is so powerful because I'm showing Black women, Black girls that... We are more than what we are always seen to be, you know, and that just gives an opportunity for someone else who hasn't seen themselves that might look like me to see themselves presented in an honest way. You know, you formed Black Women on Broadway with a couple other women in 2020. Why was this such an important organization to create? And what do you think needs to keep changing in Hollywood and on Broadway that you hope your own work and organizations like this and your own performances can really yeah. help sort of move the needle with? We put in a lot of work as artists. There's a lot of trauma within the artist community of us not feeling seen or not even feeling seen, not being seen or getting paid properly or whatever it is that we've experienced. So... When we created Black Women on Broadway, it was a moment for us to say that we see each other. If nobody else sees each other, there's a community of women that will honor the work that is happening because there's more to it than just being the actor. Like, you can be the stage manager. You can get into 
creating a set, you know, whatever it is. Like you can be a dresser. There's different ways into it that people don't even know. So when we get to set, we don't see nobody that looks like us besides on the stage because people don't know how to get to those positions. So that's what our goal is, to work on helping young women find their way uh, with whatever path they want to in the theater. So I was surprised to learn that you got your role in The Color Purple on Broadway while you were still shooting Orange is the New Black. Yeah. How does that even work logistically? Logistically, there was no sleep. And this is when I say passion for the craft comes into play. I love what I do with a passion. I love storytelling. Oh, my gosh. It's my everything. It's my therapy. It's my outlet. It's my play. It's everything to me. And so you have to love what you do because the amount of pressure that I felt every day the lack of sleep, the amount of discipline I had to have. So -hmm. the way that my schedule worked was I would get up in the morning, four or five in the morning, go to set for Orange is the New Black, get in hair and makeup, start shooting, shoot until about 12. Go get in a car, go shoot over to 42nd Street. Wow. Start rehearsals between 1 to 5 or 6 p.m., have a one-hour dinner break, and from there go do a show during previews starting at 8 that would not wrap until 10.30 p.m. at night. Go greet all of the fans for another 30 minutes once you get out of costume. And then now we're at, what, 11 o'clock? And then I lived in Brooklyn, so I didn't get home until 11.45 p.m. and do it all over the next day. Wow. It was insane. Like, oh, I remember doing Orange is the New Black, the Pusey death scene in the cafeteria, doing that and then running over to the theater in Color Purple and then playing Sophia. So we're doing eight shows a week on top of shooting Orange is the New Black, which I feel like I can only do in my 20s. <laughs> and like yeah. I can only do it as a single woman with no kids. It's like, yeah. like kind of impossible to do now, but wow. that's what I was doing. When we come back, Danielle Brooks talks about her Oscar-nominated role in the newest version of The Color Purple. More in a minute. So I want to zoom out and ask more broadly about The Color Purple, because it is such a cultural touchstone. And you've been part of it in three different iterations. You saw the original Broadway production. You performed in the revival on Broadway Mm -hmm. as Sophia. And now you're in this incredible Mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me a little bit about what this show means to you, what this story means to you? This story has been life-changing on so many levels. One, being an audience member and it changing my life in the sense of showing me my purpose. Also, the book, 
reading Alice Walker's words and seeing myself in Celie to hmm. begin with as somebody who didn't feel beautiful growing up and just didn't know her voice like that and just felt deemed ugly. And I just felt like Celie in a lot of ways. And so it was the connection that Celie had with God. You know, the book starts out, Dear God, and being a church girl, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like she's writing letters to God. And that's all I did was write in my journal all the time as my outlet um, of expression of how I was feeling internally. So the book has a huge impact on my life. And then being in it, I found my power playing Sophia on Broadway. You know, the pressure of doing the eight shows a week on top of Orange is the New Black when I had got Tony nominated for it. I went into this whole imposter syndrome moment and feeling like, how the hell did I get myself here? Because also, when I tell you, there was just this magic that was happening with being on that stage, Mm -hmm. the healing that people were experiencing. And like you would see people didn't know each other, coming from different walks of life, holding hands, walking out of the theater. When we're singing the final number, The Color Purple, you would see the connection, you would see the tears, you would see people being transformed and feeling that every night and knowing like, can we do it again? Can we do it again? Can we do it again? Yeah. was a lot of pressure. So I just realized the impact of what we do as artists and the importance of it. But playing Sophia and singing Hell No every night really helped me to say hell no to this imposter syndrome, hmm. to this fear that I was holding inside of me, to feeling like I'm not deserving of this moment. Wow. I got to cancel that out every night by playing somebody so sure of herself and so strong. Yeah, And so it wasn't until doing the movie that now I'm in a deeper ownership of my power. Then I was learning it. Now I'm owning it. Now that I'm a mom, too, there's this added layer because I am somebody, Sophia. You know, I am fighting for my daughter. I am fighting for my marriage, my husband, for breaking generational curses within my family for her. I'm working hard so that she knows that when she comes out and is an adult, that she can follow whatever dream she has while also being a mom and a wife. Like, you can have it all. You can do it all. And so I feel like now I've been able to show her that and also give her the tools that we find in this story of being the shero to your own story, to being able to say hell no, to learning that I'm I'm here as Celie teaches us in her number and how to find your voice again, how to, when you fall down like Sophia has, how to get back up. I'm leaving that for her within yeah. this story. And that's pretty awesome. So I have to tell you, I saw you perform on Broadway oh, nice. almost 10 years ago in The Color Purple. And I remember your performance oh. and it was un. Believable. That so that that experience that you're talking about that the audience had, I also felt it firsthand. It was 
really a magical performance. And honestly, what you're saying about motherhood, particularly with the role of Sophia, it makes a lot of sense because what happens to Sophia in the story, the fact that she's a mother raises the stakes Mm -hmm. for the stance that she takes, and it makes the sacrifice that she ends up making even more heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And I can see in your performance in the movie how raw and present that is. Thank you. I want to ask you about your conversation with Oprah, because the role of Sophia is the role that Oprah played in the 1985 movie. And I understand that you spoke to her. You had a Zoom call with her right? As you were working on this role for this film. So what did she tell you? What was that call like? Well, once I got the job, I called Scott Sanders, our producer. I was like, can you please get me on the phone with her to talk with her about this role? Because when I was doing it on Broadway, I was too shy to Hmm. talk to her. I was like, I'm just going to be in the corner and do my job and chill. But now with that ownership that I have learned from Sophia of owning my power and not being afraid, I was like, I need to talk to her. And so we talk and she shares with me a quote that Maya Angelou shared with her. She says, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. And I just thought that was so powerful because that is what we're doing as artists. We are coming as one, but standing in the gap for so many Sophias or whomever we're playing in this world and the responsibility and weight that that holds. And even now, like I feel a huge responsibility. You know, I felt a huge one before stepping into the shoes of Sophia that Miss O had originated. But now being the only one Oscar nominated from the film has really added to that. Hmm. I feel like I am standing as one, becoming as a thousand. There's so many people that have been a part of this incredible piece of work, even from 1985, when the movie was nominated for 11 Oscars and didn't win one. It's just like, man, I just, I want it for everybody. I want it for Whoopi and Oprah and Danny Glover and Margaret Avery and all the people that have been a part of the Broadway productions and the tours in the regional theater, in the Africa version of this. And I just know what this story has been for so many people mm-hmm. that have been on the inside of it and who have witnessed it and had the impact of change within their heart and their spirit. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, you know, I feel like after watching this movie, there might be a way for the healing to happen between me and my father. Or, you know what? Wow. Oh, my gosh. My daughter, when she witnessed you in this film, she felt that she saw herself in your character. Like, there's just so many moments, even within my own life, that have healed my relationships and friendships where I didn't talk to people for two, three years And after being in this and them coming to see me in it has healed my relationships. So I just want that win for the multiverse that is the color purple. Yeah. You know, great works of art, they sort of endure. And they mean different things to different audiences at different times. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, 
from the book in the early 1980s to the movie in 1985 to the Broadway show in 2005 to the revival in 2015 to now— how do you think the meaning of the color purple has evolved? Mm. How do 2024 audiences experience this story differently than audiences would have in the 1980s? And how has your mm. experience of it evolved? Well, I think the reason that this story continues to resonate is because it is a story that will grow with you as you grow. Hmm. It's going to change as you change. You know, I've seen the difference from young Danny having a dream, Suge Avery might have a dream, and following through with that. I've seen it now as a wife and, you know, taking that journey as Sophia and, you know, how drastic and radical that is for this Black woman to fight to break the generational curses that she and Harpo witnessed within Black love relationships and what that means for me now as a married woman. I've seen the changes that this story has meant for me as a mother. And not only that, through just like hard times when I have to remember what Celie says about, I believe I have inside of me everything that I need to live a bountiful life. You know, I have to lean on those words sometimes when I think of what she says. I got my sister. I can feel her now. She may not be here, but she's still mine. Is holding on to those things that you still have when you feel like you ain't got everything. When you feel like the world is crumbling in on you or caving in on you, those things ain't never going to stop till we take our last breath. You know, those lessons of forgiveness and of loving yourself and knowing you can get back up and, you know, forgiving your oppressor and forgiving yourself and for finding strength in the quiet moments, not just being as loud as Sophia, but sometimes your strength comes in waves like Seeley. Those things will forever remain as long as we have breath in our body. So I feel like this story that Alice Walker has created is so masterful and so timeless. And I can't wait to hopefully witness in the next 30 years what the next generation brings to this and where they take it, because I don't see it ever fizzling out. Yeah. So... You know, one thing that comes up a lot when talking about The Color Purple is that this is a story that deals with so much Black trauma. I mean, just from sexual abuse to Jim Crow to domestic violence, there is a tremendous amount of trauma in this story. And that can be really difficult to deal with, both for performers, for audiences. How do you handle the heaviness of this story? Because it really is a lot. Yeah, I think that's what's exciting about bringing the color purple back now is because at the time in the 80s, we weren't talking about therapy and stuff that wasn't like the word of the day, you know, especially in the Black community. But now we're in a place where we're actually starting to do the work to heal ourselves and finding the resources to heal the trauma that we're dealing with. 
Um, and that's exciting. But I just think about like the things that I have been through. And it's like Fantasia said, and I've heard other people say, like, if you don't have a test, then how are you going to have a testimony? And mm. I feel like, unfortunately, sometimes we have to go through things so that we can be that testimony for someone else. And that's what I've witnessed watching my beautiful sister Fantasia share her story along this journey. And even with Miss Oprah, like watching yeah. her share her testimony, being a Sealy, actually having a child at 14 and losing that child after being raped, but how she's turned her trauma into healing for so many people. You know, there's been a lot of Sealies in my life that have had to deal with the trauma that she's had to deal with. But thank God they've been able to stand up like Celie at the end of the day and really move like a Sophia for me so that mm-hmm. I wouldn't have to be a Celie. Wow. You know, I'm just super grateful for those women who have come out of the fire and are now being the Sophia for the next generation do you see yourself being part of any future iterations of the color purple? Shoot, if somebody had a great idea, I would love to. I would love to. I mean, I don't know what that would look like, but mm-hmm. I'm hoping there's some young, you know, Quincy Jones out there and some young Scott Sanders out there, and I can be the Oprah to the next rendition of this if it aligns with what the world needs then I think that would be amazing. So, Danielle, this has been such a powerful discussion about your life and career and the role of a lifetime. But now I want to learn a little bit more about the smaller, everyday moments in your life in a segment we like to call The Last Time. So, when's the last time you saw a movie with your daughter? Ooh, I think it's the summer. Um, I took her to see The Little Mermaid, which was her first film. Oh my God, what was that like? It was amazing because the trailer of Color Purple came up. So I got to witness her watching her mommy on the big screen for the first time that she's actually in a movie theater. And she was with her little Slurpee, her red icy and, and her princess tiara on her head and a little mermaid outfit saying that's my mommy it was really very special oh my god what a special moment that sounds incredible um okay when's the last time you went on an audition oh color purple (laughs) really yeah a lot of people don't realize i auditioned for um the color purple the movie and it was a six-month process of me auditioning So, yeah, that was my last time auditioning, which was in March 2021. Wow. When is the last time you saw a play? Ooh, the last play I think I saw was Pearly Victorious with Leslie Odom Jr. and Kari Young, uh, directed by my favorite, um, Kenny Leon, who I've worked with twice in Shakespeare in the Park and the Mahalia movie for Lifetime. Uh, I got to see that, and um, I was super inspired by 
watching my fellow actors on the stage. When's the last time you canceled plans and stayed in? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> I'm always canceling some plans that I pretty much made for myself. Okay, last one. When is the last time you threw a game night? Oh, yeah, you know about my game nights. <laughs> My game nights are pretty epic. Uh, That's how I found my husband. But um, the last time I threw a game night was for my birthday last year. We were having the time of our lives. We felt like college students again. What's your secret to a great game night? Is it about the games? Is it about the food? Is it about the drinks? Like, what's yeah. the, like, what makes a Danielle Brooks game night? It's the people. You have to put the right people in a room together. Not people that are like, oh, I don't want to play. No, you need people who are, like, competitive, fun-spirited, don't mind looking dumb. You know what I mean? So, like, people that are just open to helping to create a fun game night with just our imagination and just having fun with whatever we have. Wow. Well, Danielle, we're honored to have you. I loved the movie. I thought your performance was incredible. Congratulations on your Oscar nomination. Thank you. You can watch Danielle Brooks's Oscar-nominated performance in The Color Purple in theaters now. Thank you so much for listening to Person of the Week. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. So send your tips or thoughts on our show to personoftheweek at time.com. I'm Charlotte Alter. See you next week. Person of the Week is hosted by Charlotte Alter. It's produced by Nina Bisbano and Allison Bailey. Our senior producer is Ursula Summer. Our story editor is Katie Feather. This episode was mixed by Rebecca Seidel. Our theme music was composed by Billy Lippy. Joseph Frischmuth is our fact checker. Person of the Week is a co-production of Time Studios and Trigger 23. At Time, our executive producers are Dave O'Connor, Michael Erlinger, and Sam Jacobs. At Trigger 23, our executive producers are Mike Mayer, Michael Sugar, and Liam Billingham. Sasha Mathias is the head of audio at Time. You can find us online at time.com slash person of the week and wherever you get your podcasts.